So I don't know how many of you have the Advent uh, conspiracy going on, but it was funny the other morning. Uh, I realized we had lit our candle, and then I realized that I had left the house. And I think, you know, I text my wife like 20 minutes later, Honey, blow out the Advent candle. It's probably down to like day 9 or 10. You know, I'm like, oh, no, it's just the second. But we thought, well, if, if we stop it by the 24th, at least we'll have it for that night with a little stub on it. But actually, I think it ended up being fine. So anyway, that's been kind of fun uh, doing that. Uh, the first night, I don't know if, how many of you have it, but you can pull out these little cards in the box, and I pulled out one, go look at Christmas lights, and then I totally failed on that one. So last night, my wife and I went sort of looking at Christmas lights, but we need some help in Newburgh where to go. So some of you maybe can text me and let me know, like a great neighborhood where we can just cruise through, slow down, turn the lights down, and look at that so anyway uh, I thought of some words from that last chorus oh come thou wisdom come and show us the way to go and truly at this season we need the Lord's wisdom and guidance and uh, part of what I'm talking about today is the gifts of the spirit and one of the gifts of the spirit is the gift of wisdom so uh, it's a good thing that we're going to talk about how many like these words let's go on a road trip doesn't that sound fun just love those words let's go on a road trip well, about four years ago, there was this thing happening called Azusa Now in Los Angeles. We lived in Kona at the time. We had some dear friends who lived in Bend, and we dialed them up and said, hey, we're moving back in March. How about we go on a road trip together? So it was Ormel and Sandy Chapin, and they'll put that picture up there, but these, these guys are dear friends of ours. Uh, Ormel has since passed away and gone to be with the Lord. But uh, So we've got to go on a road trip with these people that were our mentors. There we are. We're heading out on the road trip, and we even made up a song. We're going on a road trip. It's like, like going on a bear hunt, that song, you know, but we changed it and had a great time. So one of the places we visited when we got to Los Angeles, we really wanted to see because we were going for a one-day prayer event called Azusa Now, 110 years after the Azusa outpouring. They had this huge event. But we wanted to go to the actual Azusa Street. So to show the next slide, this is us at Azusa Street. And we are standing under the sign so that we have proof of that. There it is, Azusa Street. And they talk about the outpouring, even right there in Los Angeles. They talk about it there because it's a significant place. Um, from there, we went to this event the next day. It was actually April 9th, 2016. And it was at the Los Angeles Coliseum where the USC plays football. Big stadium. There were 70,000 people there that day to pray for an outpouring of God on America. Different people came up and led. Uh, Koreans led about an hour. Uh, then the Native Americans led prayer and had some drums out. It was beautiful. Then you had all different cultures coming and leading prayer. And we prayed for America for a whole day. Um, even as we walked in the stadium that morning, we could feel the glory of the Lord in that place. And it was pretty amazing to be together with so many people. As we were talking today, one of the things we miss is just the fellowship of being together. There's something about the closeness and unity that comes from that. So here we are at this event. You can see a lot of people there. That's actually our friend speaking right there into the big screens named Andy. And he's talking, but at 6 o'clock p.m., a guy named Sean Bolts came to the platform in front of all 70,000 people, and with fear and trembling, he began to speak 
what the Holy Spirit had shown him to speak. It was a gift of prophecy we're going to talk about today. And he said, uh, well, let me say one thing first. Ready obedience. When you're, whenever you're doing what God wants you to do, there's going to be times that he speaks, and you've got to quickly obey, right? I wrote an article for YOM called Don't Second Guess Your First Impressions. The Holy Spirit gives us an impression. You should go over and do this or say this to this person or you know, encourage them, and you're like, well, you start second-guessing, you know, whether that was the Lord. If it's something about encouragement or building someone up, I guarantee that's not the devil saying that. That's going to be the Lord telling you to do that. So, so he was starting to second-guess this man named Sean Bolts. I mean, this is a huge stadium, and by later in the day, he still hadn't really heard anything from the Lord. So anyway, he got up there, and he said, I'm going to give some prophecies. Prophecies are here to just make you know that Jesus loves you. So he demystified this whole thing and made it. This is just about Jesus showing that he loves you. He sees you. He knows you. And I wasn't really paying attention. You're in a huge stadium, 6 p.m. I mean, I just ate some dinner, and, you know, there had been stuff going since 6 in the morning. So we'd already been there 12 hours. And I wasn't really paying attention Trish was having her own encounter with the Lord where the Lord was showing, talking to her about some things. They had just sang the song, uh, It Is Well With My Soul, and she was having this whole encounter with the Lord on her own about, it is not well with my soul, and there were some things and things to do even with our children. And so this makes it even more amazing. So this guy said over this whole crowd, is there a Kenny Ray and a Patricia Lou here? You came together. And I was like, what? I see this little guy down there on a stage, and he just said my name on the loudspeaker. I'm going, well, what is going on here? He said, do these names mean anything to you? David, Esther, Jonathan, Sarah, and I think there's one more. That's the name of our kids and David's wife, Esther. Um, so far, yes, you could probably find these things online. If you knew that we were coming that day, and if you knew who we were, you know, it's so it's pretty amazing. Uh, then he said a bunch of other things. Well, I thought we could just watch it today. So here's the prophecy over us at the Colosseum. Okay, I've never done this in a crowd this big, so this is new for me and it might be new for you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to call out a few things that are words of knowledge which means there are things about your life currently right now. And if this is you, it has to be all the things, not one of the things. And I want you to wave your hands as big as you can so that we can really see you because it's going to take a second to identify who you are. So if I call out the details and it makes sense for you, please wave your hands. And prophecy just makes you feel like Jesus loves you. So I'm going to get words of knowledge that are going to help us to know who I'm prophesying over. And then I'm going to get words for that person that I'm prophesying over that might involve healing or whatever else. So we're going to try this out. Please, Jesus, come. Is there a Kenny or Kenneth Ray and a Patricia Lou who came together? A Kenny or Kenneth Ray and a Patricia Lou who came together? Help me find them. Are they here? Are they real? Come on. They're up there in this section right there. Okay, so you're going to have to help me out here. Tell me if these names make sense to you. There's four of them. It's David, Esther, John, and Sarah. Does that make sense? She's excited. These are your children? Are they your children? This is Jesus. He's is there any more? Is, there, is that it? That's it. We got him. Okay, there might be one more, but we, I, I can't tell. Patricia, God is healing a list of, of things you need in your body from the mission field 
where you've needed a list of healing and God's touching you right now. So just lift that list to him and you're going to feel a healing anointing come over you. And God is sending you guys. This is awesome. These are their names. God knows their names. God is sending you guys back to Oregon. Does this make sense? Back to Oregon. So you're going to Oregon. Does that make sense at all? Yes, it's making a lot of sense. We don't know what it means, but he says you're going to reap what you haven't even sown in Oregon. And also, I saw something about California and Fair Oaks. I used to live near Fair Oaks. Is there a Fair Oaks connection? So here's what I see with Fair This is radical. That's She's Trisha's like, hometown. Oh, no, it's working. So Fair Oaks, Winding Oak Drive. Does that make sense? That's the street this she grew up on. This is the street you lived on. And the reason why God's showing me this is because it's a parable of what you're going to be planting in the West Coast of Oaks of Righteousness, Winding Oaks, places that will, are people that will offer so much stability and shade in their Christianity. You and your husband are amazing disciples. And I saw uh, something about 2 Corinthians 1-2, and then I thought maybe 1-2 is a significant date to you. Is 1-2 anything, like January 2nd? Is that anything at all? It's our anniversary. Yes. Is this an anniversary maybe? <laughs> this is your anniversary. Yes. Jesus loves your marriage. <laughs> of course he does. I ask, I ask God right now. I just ask God right now, Kenneth and Patricia, that he would touch you and mark you because you are examples in this revival culture of people who are going to be carrying a discipleship move of revival into this next season. God knew you would be here. He knew you would be here because he sent you here to be a token to all of us that he knows us. He knows our families. He knows what we need in our bodies. He knows what's going to come next. And he's pleased with us. He loves you. In Jesus' name, amen. So how many think we were encouraged by that? The gift of prophecy moved. We were encouraged. I just want to let you know, too, that that year we had, in 2016, we had moved back 16 days before from Hawaii to Oregon. You said you're moving back to Oregon. In January, we had made a covenant verse for the year, and it's from Ezekiel, and it says that uh, you'll be like trees planted by the river. And so he talked about the trees. Trisha had wore an oak necklace that day. She grew up in Fair Oaks. She lived on Winding Oak Drive. These are things that only would come by the Holy Spirit. You cannot research and look up things like this. It still gives me chills four years later how encouraged we were by that prophecy. Uh, he had told us later that he was greatly stressed because even towards just an hour before, he had never, he, had, he was praying and like, God, they want me to come on at six o'clock. I have nothing. I have no names. I have nothing. So he began to pray and God, we were only one of about four or five different people or individuals that he called out and, uh, Eventually, later in the night, we all came up on the platform and shared, yes, this is true. So, you know, you're supposed to check those things out, make sure it's, it's true, and it was all true for us. But uh, this effect of this, in other words, that he gave that night, released huge faith in that Colosseum. You know, it was amazing. We all knew God, saw us, he knew us, and he loved us. It was pretty amazing. Um, and that's what the gifts are all about as they move. It's telling people as you speak into their life, and it encourages you. Like you, Jesus sees you, he loves you, he knows you, he's with you. 1 Corinthians 14 says this, crave spiritual gifts. Now we all love gifts, right? 
come on, people that are here, out there in the studio audience, in the world. Yes, we love gifts. We love gifts. And it says in 1 Corinthians 14, crave spiritual gifts. And this, the other words for this are eagerly desire, earnestly contend for these gifts. It's almost like, I want that gift. It's contending for it, you know. Uh, I wanted to show this because it was something that happened in our life as a personal testimony to the good gifts of God. We were simply, when we were there that day, we were just an example to everyone else, right? Do you know how many people, my son did a video of that with us telling the storyline? Within a few weeks, a quarter million people had watched that video. They estimate that over a half million people worldwide were watching that. It wasn't anything about us. At the end of the day, it's about everybody knowing that he sees you, he knows you, he loves you. It's an encouragement. No matter if it's, in, it's you and one other person at the breakfast table, it's encouraging. Uh, Ormel had said, speaking of breakfast, the day before we left on the road trip, he stood up and said, I feel like something's going to happen to you guys soon, but it's going to bring glory to God. Although it's going to be you that are highlighted, it's going to bring glory to Jesus. 48 hours later, it happened. We didn't know what he was talking about. So Azusa now was 110 years after the Azusa revival to the day, April 9th, 2016. Azusa happened. It, the Lord broke out in this house we're going to hear about on April 9th, 1906. Um, but before that, we need to talk about what happened a few years before that? This is Evan Roberts. If you've ever heard of the Welsh revival, is in Wells. Evan Roberts was a young man that had a burden for God that was so deep that he would bend over and just say, I'm bent to your will, Lord. And he'd walk around, I bend myself to your will. I bend myself to your will. And he was a prayer warrior, so much so that a lot of his professors at the university would be like, where's Evan today? We know where he's at. He's in the prayer room. Evan would be in the prayer room, and they actually made an allowance for that because he was so in touch with the Lord that nobody wanted to really touch him at that point. So he kept praying, and one day he went to a prayer meeting at his home church. He felt like God said, go home. He went home, and at that prayer meeting, he began to pray that, I bend myself to your will. There was a brokenness that happened over that place, 17 people meeting for prayer in a little town in Wells. Within two weeks, the whole nation was in revival. It was a crazy move of God. In two years, there were 100,000 converts. This next slide shows a, a quote that was famous for Evan Roberts. Put away any doubtful habit. Obey the Holy Spirit promptly. Confess Christ openly. These are truly the things of revival. Put away the doubtful habits. Obey the Holy Spirit and confess Christ openly. Let me tell you what happened in Wells. This is when you know that there's a move of God happening. Most of the bars went bankrupt, the taverns. Uh, policemen were laid off work, and a lot of them started uh, quartets that went around to churches to sing because they had nothing to do. Crime went down. Hospitals were emptied out. Coal mines, this is the funny one. The coal mines' profits started plummeting. You know why? Because the donkeys and the horses only understood the foul language of the coal miners to go and to come and, you know, for their directions, and so nobody was speaking foul language anymore, so they uh, had to rework with the, the donkeys and stuff to get them to work, so the coal mining industry went down for a few weeks because of that. That's when you know something's going on. <laughs> Later on, a man named Reese Howells, who came out of this revival, he was a prayer warrior. 
He was a result of the Welsh Revival, and this is not part of our thing, but I just wanted to tell you this real quick. His prayer movement shifted what happened in World War II. They would pray every day for hours. During the whole war, they would, the Lord would actually give them strategies in advance how to pray, how to pray for what Hitler or whoever was gonna do in the next coming weeks, and they would pray in advance for that. And it came down to one night. Have you ever heard of the movie Dunkirk? The movie Dunkirk is based on one night when there were 400,000 soldiers trapped on the upper banks in Belgium and Hitler knew they were there. And, you know, the whole nation of England went into prayer. 400,000 men were trapped next to the ocean. Nowhere to go. All the ships, none of the ships were there because of other things that had happened. And so Reese Howells went to prayer with his group. They prayed that the clouds would lift enough for boats to get through, but not enough for the air, you know, Hitler's attack to get through. For some unknown reason, Hitler had stopped everything for three days. He stopped all advancement. You can see the boats coming. These are actual pictures. People came with their boats. Over 800 boats came across the channel, started picking up soldiers all through the night, and they were able to rescue 400,000 young men from that beach that night. And I attribute that to Reese Howe and the years and years of prayer that went into that. So that's separate from uh, the Welsh revival, but I wanted to share that because it's just so amazing. So Evan Roberts announced he was retiring. He was pretty young, but he'd been preaching day and night for six or seven years. And he announced on April 7th, 1906, that he was done, which is amazing timing. Remember that date, April 7th, 1906. 48 hours later, the Holy Spirit touched down in a little house in Los Angeles, April 9th, 1906. Here's a slide of William Seymour. William Seymour had been holding meetings at a church in Los Angeles. Uh, because of differences he had, they had actually locked him out of the meetings. So he went to be with a family called the Asburys, which was quite unusual at that time too, a black man meeting for prayer at a white person's house. But if you show the next slide, this is the house on Bonnie Bray Street where they met to pray. On April 9th, they were there praying, asking God to come and to move, and the Holy Spirit fell. One of the Asbury sons, young Bud, ended up being touched by the Holy Spirit. He's just a little boy. He was out on the front porch prophesying about the Lord. Jenny Evans Moore, a neighbor, she began to speak in tongues. Nobody even knew what this was. They didn't even know what was going on. And instantly, she was given the gift of playing the piano. She had never played before, and she could sit down and play and singing. How many would like to instantly have an instrument that you learn? That's me, Lord. And she ended up learning through what the Holy Spirit spoke to her, six different languages that she spoke Russian and different languages to different people. Uh, others were filled instantly as well. And most of these people were black people that were there, janitors, porters, and washwomen that had met together to pray. I want to show William Seymour again and talk about him for just a minute. William Seymour was not a well-learned man. He was born to slave parents in Louisiana, he was actually probably the least likely person that a man would choose to lead the biggest modern revival movement in history. But he was hungry for the Holy Spirit. He was praying, contending prayers, those prevailing prayers. Uh, James 5.16 says, The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Surely uh, William Seymour had discovered that. He was a humble man, 
He was teachable. Here's what someone said about William Seymour. He walks and talks with God. His power is in his weakness. He seems to maintain a helpless dependence on God and is simple-hearted like a little child. At the same time, he is so filled with the love of God that you feel the power every time you get near him. So God chose him. He didn't choose somebody in a, in a cathedral. He jumped over a lot of famous great men and women of God and found this humble man. Later that week, the crowd began to swell at Bonnie Bray at this house. You can imagine how much, uh, when people heard about it, it started packing out the lawn, and actually the house porch caved in. Too many people were on it. And they said, we got to find a place. So they chose this old rundown church that had... That was a horse barn before that. It had been a uh, Baptist black holiness church before, and then it became a horse barn and all these other things and a warehouse. And uh, yeah, there it is. The most recent thing it had been was that. That's where we took that picture, right on that corner with Azusa. Azusa is actually a Shoshone word that means the blessed miracle. And this name was given by a chief to a little girl who prayed and fasted all the time and would lay hands on Shoshone people who were sick and they would be healed. God works in mysterious ways. And uh, so he named her. He said she will be called Shoshone. She had the gift of miracles and the gift of healing as we read in 1 Corinthians 12. There was a saying that went, go to Azusa and you will be healed. So people came to her all the time. So now here's this place named after her. It's a street and here's the Azusa. Go there and you will be healed. It was a cramped building. You can imagine the summer of 1906 in Los Angeles in what was formerly a warehouse, cramped in there with no air conditioning, of course, and a lot of flies because it had been a horse barn. So what they did, too, is the pulpit was out in the middle. So the pulpit was there, and it was just two big old shoe boxes. And then around it was just these slabs of wood put on whatever they could be on. It was very humble. The ceiling was low. The ground had just chips, you know, wood chips on it. And William Seymour would go in the middle, and they said much of the time he would just have his head inside one of the boxes, and he would be waiting on God. It's a beautiful thing. The Lord moved in amazing ways. I asked Keith to come, and he's going to share, as if he's these different people, some of the firsthand accounts of what went on in Azusa. So he's going to kind of be a narrator of a couple of different stories. You can just leave that slide on through this whole time. The first one is from Oosterberg. I witnessed the first moving of the spirit at Azusa. I was part of a crew of workers who came to help clear debris. This is what made Azusa so different. Even as they went to do the cleanup, we were met by several black ladies who began praying for us. One of our workers was a Roman Catholic. He fell to his knees amid the clutter, and, and, and he burst into tears. And this is remembered as the first conversion at Azusa. Another eyewitness said that they could see the meetings, and they, the crowds were gathered all around the altar, laying near one another, blacks and whites all together, even Chinese and Japanese and Russian, they heard the gospel being spoken as the Holy Spirit filled many with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There was no dissension, and there was no distinction between races. 
people of all nations, all races. Nobody said, you're black or you're white. In fact, they all said they were children of God. Lawrence Countley spoke over the, what he saw, and he saw evidence of people speaking in tongues. He saw prophetic words. He saw healings take place, and he saw all of the gifts accomplished. Each of the things that are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 was practiced. Even around the room, there were crutches that were hung around on the walls because the people had been healed and no longer needed them. You could feel the power of God coming down. Young children, boys and girls, would get up and sing under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and grown men would cry like babies under conviction. Henry McLean, sometimes, he said, sometimes people were arrested by the police who did not approve of the public evangelism that was taking place. So in Whittier, California, he accepted a 30-day chain, or 30 days in jail with the chain gang, rather than leave town. He accepted it so that he could continue his ministry cheerfully along with his fellow prisoners. <laughs> there was a boy, and this gives evidence of the healing that took place. He said he was at Azusa. One service, a man, I realized a man nearby who was blind, who was stone blind. He could see nothing. He had I had so much compassion for this man, so I asked him, what did you come here for today? He said, well, people are telling me that people are coming in here and are getting healed. He said, I want my eyes to be healed. The boy said, okay, let's pray. We prayed for the man and his eyes were instantly healed. Even the stench of alcohol left. Later on, that man became an evangelist throughout the Midwest and held great revivals. Maddie Cummings said, I was deaf. God healed me, and now I can hear. That was 70 years ago. Lawrence Countley had TB or tuberculosis on that day. But he went to... But Lawrence went, and he heard that there was this Azusa mission where the people were praying for others and that they got well. So he asked his mother, could I be brought to this place? And she eventually brought him in, and they were laying on hands and praying over him, and God delivered Lawrence from tuberculosis. He said, I know I'm delivered, not only because the way I feel now 70 years later, but I've been examined by specialists. There was a minister who said, I was proud and well-dressed, and I was a preacher, and I came to investigate, as all good preachers do, this move of God that was taking place. And, but soon enough, the high looks that I was giving were replaced with wonder. Then conviction fell upon me. And before long, I was wallowing on the dirty floor, asking God to forgive me and to make me as a little child again. Among those that were attracted to the revival 
although it was first characterized as by worship and healings going around the clock, were not only members of the holiness movement, but also Baptists, Mennonites, Quakers, and Presbyterians. May we hear these stories and see how God is on the move. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's ready and willing and always wanting to move, and he always is moving. And Lord, we even today open ourselves up to your move in this church, in our families, in our homes, in our lives. As you see there, there was no segregation. That's one big thing that stood out to me. They said at one of the foot washing service, I don't know if any of you have ever been to a foot washing, but it's kind of an old time thing, but uh, the ones I've been to have actually been pretty humbling and powerful. Um, and I didn't want to do it. I was like, uh, and then when I let there be a foot washing, uh, I was completely humbled and uh, weeping when it was happening. But at one of those, there were 20 nationalities there. That tells you that there were people from all over the world. Within one year, they were sending out missionaries from Azusa to other parts of the world. And they tell stories of like wealthy people and tycoons coming and pulling up in their horse-drawn carriages and next to them sitting in the meeting would be a, a drunk that wandered in off the street. And, you know, they were both coming together to hear what Christ was all about. But then, uh, it's funny because other churches began to get jealous and other movements and they didn't like what was happening at Azusa and they actually um, started kind of competing with them in street evangelism and going, well, if they can go out here, we can go out here. And everybody was just, yes, more people out evangelizing. So it actually ended up being a great thing that God did. Uh, you know, later, eventually, there was disunity in the city, and that's what really shut down the actual Azusa movement at the place, unfortunately. And by 1924, churches in L.A. and all over had went back to segregation. And we even see that today many places where uh, it's segregated, black and white and others in their own places. But... The roots of Azusa have touched 644 million people, they estimate today. So this wasn't a small movement, it's a huge thing. I want to move on from Azusa, and I want to talk about back to what you saw, what happened to Tricia and I, and I want to conclude today by talking about the gifts of the Spirit. So once again, we go to 1 Corinthians 14, it says, let love be your highest goal. Remember, this is coming right off of the love chapter, chapter 13, that we constantly misuse only for weddings, when it has to do with moving in the gifts from chapter 12, here's the filter. It's always through love, patient, kind, never jealous, envious. This is how we move, how we love each other and encourage. And then you get to 14 and it says, desire to love, love is your highest goal, but you should also desire the spiritual, special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the gift of prophecy. Prophecy is mentioned 28 times. And basically that means that you're, the Lord is going to reveal to your mind and heart something to speak as an encouragement to someone else. So we talked about that. We're supposed to crave these spiritual gifts. Now I want to look back at uh, verse, 1 Corinthians 12. And let's just read this together. It's a little bit of it, but uh, I'm going to kind of summarize it. A spiritual gift, it says in there, is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another and to someone else. The one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else 
the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. The beautiful thing here is that we're given these gifts by the Holy Spirit so that we can help one another. That's the whole thing, to encourage each other, to build each other up. A lot of times we get stuck on just studying all about it. I was in Bible school. I know, you spend weeks and months like, just studying all of the, what this means and what that exactly means, and it's, it's great, but we can get bogged down in all of that, and, not, and we can forget that. These gifts are for us to help and encourage each other. That's the bottom line about the gifts. Uh, you may think you're not functioning in one of these gifts, but I bet every one of you are already. How many of you have ever shared wise advice from the Scripture? I always say start with the Scriptures. That's a fail-proof system. If you need to give advice to your child or to a friend, find a Scripture, give that to them, and then give them some wisdom that the Holy Spirit's given you. That's the gift of wisdom. How many of you have ever done that? I think we've all moved in that way, even though no one raised their hands. No. <laughs> Uh, how many of you have listened to the Holy Spirit and discerned or spoken something, even in ov- open worship here? We have that time where we discern. We listen, we hear from the Holy Spirit, and we go to the mic or we stand up and we say what we feel the Spirit saying. And it's never a degrading word. It's always an encouragement. When I hear people stand uh, and say things, I remember once Phil Smith stood in the balcony and said, as we were all quiet during open worship, to the world, this would seem like a waste of time, but we know different that this is, you know, I forgot your exact words, but it was actually profound to me that day, and Trish and I talked about it the rest of the day, the, the beauty of that word that was given. There's the gift of discernment. I want to tell a few stories uh, as I conclude today, and one of them, discernment is where you can discern what spiritually is taking place in a situation or maybe in a space. We were going to the Schnitz Arlene Schnitzer Concert Hall, and it was going to be a midnight Christmas play, and we had our kids with us, actually kind of more of a musical production, and we had our kids with us, we were all hungry, so we said, hey, let's stop in at the subway. So we, we walk into this subway station, it's not station, subway restaurant, and there was a man standing there, and he was kind of by the door, and he was a bit creepy, he had a long trench coat on, black trench coat. As we walked by, I was already sensing something as a dad, you know, you get that, like, okay. And Trisha was sensing something totally different, a spirit of death. There was a spirit of death in that place, and it was coming from that man. Um, So we ordered our food, and as a mature spiritual man as I am, I kind of walk over by the drink machine, and I'm looking for a back exit in case we, you know, he's up by the front door, and I'm like looking around. There was no way out, okay? There was only the front door, so I'm like, oh, man, we're going to have to trust in the Lord here, (laughs) which is a much better way than trusting in me. I would say that. So uh, Tricia was discerning and began to pray actually out loud at our table. I see you, spirit of death, Uh, and, you know, begin to pray in the spirit and begin to pray against that uh the children of course our kids were kind of feeling embarrassed mom tone it down a little bit i mean and it's like no that's no this has to happen and she kept praying out loud and uh she wouldn't stop in jesus name i want to say everything that we don't just pray in our own spirit you know when you walk in and you sense something in jesus name and praying the blood of jesus over this thing 
Uh, always bring that. The man uh, was pulled outside as we were eating. The police came and literally pulled him out, put him on the sidewalk. As we walked out, he was laying there handcuffed. Beside him was a huge knife that he had had hidden underneath his trench coat. We don't know what he had planned, but the spirit of discernment, the gift of discernment, shifted that atmosphere. And I believe through Trisha's praying, not through my like looking around like, how do we get out? But through Trisha actually praying and interceding that the Lord came through in that way. There's also the gift of miracles. My parents were heading to Bible school. My, my mom, she's going to watch this today and say, I was not 15. She wasn't 15, but she was not much older than that when they headed to Bible school. She was still a high school girl, basically. She finished her GED at college. But her and my dad had uh, headed down to Santa Cruz, California. And for some reason, he hadn't put lights on his trailer, brake lights on the trailer that had their little belongings in it, you know. And it was getting close to dark. And he knew something needed to change. So they had pulled into this little town. I called my mom. I said, what town was it? That would be fun. And we figured it out. And finally, we landed on Williams. It was Williams, California. They pulled in to the right side. And they pulled into a service station. And out come two guys. They come running out. How can we help you? And my dad says, well, I neglected to put lights on my trailer. Oh, we got this. And they went in and got supplies and started wiring, putting brakes on the trailer. In the meantime, uh, my oldest brother, who was a little baby, woke up and uh, dad was like, maybe we should warm up his milk. Why don't you go to that hamburger stand over there and see if they'll warm his milk up for him. So my mom goes over there and they're so kind and they help, of course, and they warm up the milk and come back. By then the men are done. They've put these brake lights on and uh, dad says, how much do I owe you? You know, being a young guy going off to Bible school with probably nothing in his wallet, at, hardly at all. They said, how about two bucks? Just two bucks, which is amazing, you know. And he hands them the money. And they go on their way rejoicing that they have their brake lights and they're going on to university. So they decided to go back through that way, obviously. They went home for Christmas or whenever they went home. And they pulled off the road in the same town because they wanted to go thank them for their help because they kind of got on their way quickly. They went in and they saw the burger place, right? So they go over there and they said, hey, uh, we just wanted to thank you. We came through, you warmed a bottle. We wanted to thank the guys at the service station. And they, you know, they're like, where is the service station? And the guy at the place said, there's never been a service station here. I don't know what you're talking about. There's never been anything here. At that point, my mom and dad realized that they had had a miracle happen to them. Now, this is not the gift of miracles, but it was a gift of a miracle that happened to them and God works in those ways uh, the other thing that happened to us right near there was one time we were driving to California and we had had a, a tire that was kind of going bad but you know how you neglect to fix it because you just want to get on the road so we went on the road and uh, our GPS was set to take us to a place in Sacramento but our GPS suddenly came on way north of Sacramento and said exit here and I'm like, what? I was kind of feeling like the tire maybe wasn't doing so well. It said, exit, take next exit. So I felt like the Holy Spirit said, that is like, you know, you're going to see a miracle now. You need to listen to that. So I pulled off, and right there was a Les Schwab tire. It was the town of Willows, California. And the Les Schwab tire was there, and I went in, and they said, if you would have kept going, you were going to have a major blowout on your tire. So it's so good that you came in here. The other part of that miracle that my kids would say is that two blocks away was a beautiful public pool, and it was a hot day, and we had to wait two hours 
and they got to go swim. So that was the miracle for them. But God works in these ways. There's another one that the gift of faith operated. I know these are stories about my family, but uh, I think you'd enjoy this one. Uh, so our son David was a young boy, and our church we were at was having a fundraiser for a new building. A building fund was happening. And David really prayed, and he got that gift of faith. This measure of faith came to him. I'm going to give the biggest gift that I have as a little boy. What would that be? A baseball card. It was a Ichiro rookie card. Ichiro was a great player for the Mariners. And he had this rookie card that was worth $120. And David decided to put it in the offering as his measure of faith, a gift of faith. He, uh, he met, gave it in the offering that Sunday. And Pastor got up the next Sunday and he told the story about how this young man in the church had given all that he had to give. And our pastor even started crying as he told the story. And he said, I want to tell you the rest of the story. A man found out about the card. He came to the front. He said, I'm writing you a check for $1,000 right now for that card in the name of that boy. And he said, David Snyder, this is for the building pledge from David Snyder, $1,000, but I want you to give the card back to him. So here was our son that, you know, he, uh, he uh, used the gift of faith. He stepped out, gave that card, and in return he got his card back, and $1,000 was given in the building fund. It was an amazing thing. These gifts that uh, just quickly we've talked about today, these gifts are from the Lord. These gifts are to encourage us, and the gifts are to be eagerly desired. When you see what happened at Azusa, they were moving in all of these different gifts. They were happening. Some of these don't even happen today. Um, and it's kind of, it's sad. They don't happen in a gathering. They don't happen in our lives. A lot of times we just kind of go through life and we don't understand that God wants to give us these gifts. It's almost as if they're under the tree. There's like these nine gifts sitting under a tree and the Lord's like, don't you want to open these? Don't you want to see these things still happen in church? Don't you want to still see them happening when you gather? Don't you want to see them happen in your family? Yes, he does. And when we don't... Uh, work in these gifts, when we don't move in the gifts or allow them to move, we're missing out on a blessing. There's a verse at the end of chapter 12 that says this, uh, when one part suffers, we all suffer, and when one part is exalted, we're all exalted. When you think of the gifts moving, like let's say someone during open worship speaks a word that really touches our heart, if we were not to allow that to happen, who would suffer? All of us, when they suffer because they don't get to give the gift, use the gift, we all suffer. But when people are able to speak, when people are able to use the gifts, we all are blessed by it. It's a beautiful part of that. I want to close by just talking, of, it's kind of related, so bear with me, but in Tualatin last year, there was a snow day. And we, I think we had a snow day here where nobody really went to work. It was one day, and... This man owned a business, and he decided, well, no one's going to work today. Maybe I'll make my way in and just clean my office up and clean my desk. So he proceeded to clean his office, and he, you know how every once in a while you, like, pull way back to the back reaches of a desk and pull out all this stuff that you forgot about and you shoved in there? Well, he found a card. I don't know if it was a greeting card or an envelope. Inside it was a lottery ticket. And he, wasn't, he didn't play the lottery, but he got this ticket, you know, and this card. 
And he's like, that's odd. And he put it to the side, finished his cleanup, and he said, well, maybe I'll head down to Fred Meyer and just, you know, check it out. He goes down there, and first he's looking and realizing it's almost a year old, so it's nearly expired. So he takes it up to the counter at, the, at Fred Meyer, and the lady puts it under the thing, says, oh, this says you should go to Wilsonville to the regional office. She said, I've never really seen any of those, maybe once. So he's getting a little like, wow, I wonder what that means. So he goes, drives to Wilsonville. At Wilsonville, they look at the card, they put it under the thing, it says, uh, this says you're going, you need to go to Salem. This gift is over $50,000. And then they said, in fact, they checked it, and they went and said, yeah, you won a million dollars. This is a million-dollar winner. And he said he was so nervous that he couldn't even drive to Salem. He had to get a friend to drive him down there with this ticket. He had a friend drive him. And I'm just telling you that story to just tell you that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the things that we have that we can move in, that the Lord has left for us as a church to find joy in, way more than a lottery ticket. But so many times we push it to the back and we kind of go through service and we go through life and we second guess those first impressions and we sometimes quench the Holy Spirit, you know, when He's speaking to us. And it's just like, having something of great value that we just keep thrown away in a desk somewhere instead of bringing it out and having the blessing of it. So I want you to know that the Lord uh, wants us to be blessed in this way and using the gifts in this way. Uh, the last slide I'd like to show is 2 Timothy 1.16. And it says this, if you have that one, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. Of course, we know that that gift of God is the gift of salvation and the Holy Spirit and everything. But I want to use it in this way. That gift that God has given you, fan that into flame. Bring it to life. Search your heart. Say, Lord, where have I quenched you? Where do you want me to move? How have you blessed me in this way? You know, the Lord gives different gifts. Some, some of you out here have the gift of wisdom. Some of you have the gift of helps. Some of you have the gift of healing, that you can really have faith for people to be healed. Some of you have the gift of faith. God's given us these gifts. So today my prayer as we end is, Lord, would you fan into flame the gift of God which is in us. Can you just close yourself in with the Lord? We're going to make this our open worship for just a moment, and then I'm going to lead a song. Take this first to heart. Lord, fan into flame the gift of God which is in me. And the words, no plus ultra, probably saying that wrong, but that meant nothing beyond. I'll say it again. The Spanish had coins that showed the Straits of Gibraltar, and they had the words that said nothing beyond. Little did they know there was a whole new world beyond. And many times we can, we can think that, well, I have, I have all of this from the Lord, but there's surely not more. There's nothing beyond the salvation that I have and the Holy Spirit in me, but... There is, there's these gifts that the Lord wants to use us in. And he wants us to be all in and say yes to the wonder and the mystery of the Holy Spirit's power in our midst, in your home, in your very lives. We're going to sing this song and then I ask Keith to come at the end and pray as we close service. Oh, let the Son of God enfold you 
with his spirit and his love let him fill your hearts and satisfy your soul let him have the things that hold you and his spirit like a dove will descend upon your life and make you whole Jesus oh Jesus come and fill your land oh Jesus Won't you come and feel your land? Oh, come and sing this song with gladness as your hearts are filled with joy. Lift your hands in sweet surrender to his name. Oh, give him all your tears and sadness. Give him all your years of pain. And you'll enter into life in Jesus' name. Jesus, oh Jesus. Won't you come and fill your land? Oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, come and fill your lands. Would you stand with me? If you would this morning, lift your hearts, even lift your hands, and let's sing this chorus one more time. Oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, come and fill your Lord. Oh, come.